And I want to thank all our guest speakers, Jim Singleton and Ron and Dale and Jim. would give an amazing, amazing message on Abba Father. And today I want to dive into Abraham the Father. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis 12, and we're just going to jump into it. It's been a while since I've preached, so I feel like I'm kind of exploding here. So if I'm talking too fast or too long, you just be like, Andy, just be quiet, cut it out. You know, I will receive that. But I'm excited for this morning, and I do believe that God has a word for all of us. And so let's just open up to Genesis chapter 12. And so this is right after, you know, God creates the world, uh, the Tower of Babel. If, If you know your Sunday school lessons, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know, Tower of Babel. People were scattered. The world is broken. And now God says, you know, I'm going to start my rescue plan, which is Jesus Christ. And he starts it with a man named Abraham. And Abraham is going to be the leader, the the birth, the nation of Israel that Jesus will come from. And so he is Father Abraham. So I want to read the beginning of Abraham's call. This was before his name was Abraham. His name was Abram. In chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. That word great is really a large nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old. His wife Sarai, who becomes Sarah, was 65 years old. So at 75 years old, no kids, God says, go. And I, and I believe there's a lot that we can unpack here. One of the scariest moments of my life happened a couple weeks ago, and I was in the kitchen doing dishes, and one of my kids stole my phone and started looking at old videos. And I hear in the other room, my dad. Now, my dad passed away seven years ago. I hear my dad, and I'm like, I don't remember having any videos of my dad. Same mannerism. So so I go to look, and I take the phone, and it is me. And it's me and the Fireside Kids videos. And you may say, well, that's not that scary. It's because you don't know my dad. If you knew my dad, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that is terrifying. See, I love my dad, but my dad had some crazy parts of him, as many of you dads have here on Father's Day. And so, for, for example... I'm realizing I'm becoming more and more my dad. So I had surgery on my arm a couple of months ago, and I'm not allowed to lift anything past two pounds. That's like doctor's orders. Very hard when your youngest kid weighs 35 pounds and likes to run into the road. So my dad had surgery, and my dad and I did the same thing. And so what I would do is like, hey, it's fine. I can do it. I'm like, I don't need help. And I would try to find these workarounds. And I would say things like this. The best thing to do is to work through it. You know, like, just, it's fine. You grunt through the pain. And Kate looked at me and said, you know who you remind me of? I'm like, who? You know, thinking of something like some movie star. I was like, no, you remind me of your dad. I'm like, do you take that back? <laughs> but see, see, this is kind of, you, you, maybe you're in the same, same thing, right? You know, like, I'll never be like my dad. Then all of a sudden, you look and you're like, oh, no. 
It's happening. Your hair starts to fall out. You start speaking, talking with him. So, me, I'm turning into my dad a little bit. But we, in this story, we have our father, Abraham. And I remember singing the song, Father Abraham. Maybe you guys sang it when you were a kid. We would go to, like, these mission trips. We'd go to Guatemala. We'd go to Haiti. And what I would do is get my guitar. I'm, I'm very limited on my guitar, but it's, like, only three-chord songs, so it's pretty easy, GCD. And I would, it would go, like, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. And then you'd have your right arm. And I see Chris and Nadia. You know the song, right? And all, the, all these kids are, like, kicking and turning around, and, and everything's crazy. And then sit down, and, and you play this song. It's like a, a Bible song, but nobody has any idea what they're singing. And so, you know, they're, they're going crazy. And you're like, it's Father Abraham had many sons. And, and if you were to think about Father Abraham, especially as a little kid, you would get to think of their family portrait, right? You would have Abraham in this big leather couch with like dozens and dozens of kids and grandkids all around him, and he would be like smiling, and, and Sarah would be next to him, the matriarchs, and you, you'd see all these kids, and you'd be like, well, that's what a father Abraham had many sons would be like, right? That's probably what you would think if you're a little kid, and maybe some of you sitting here read what God told Abraham. You're going to go. Your, your name is going to be great. Your, your blessing, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to have a lot of kids. And he's 75 years old, and he's like, I'm not seeing anything. The reality is, if you were to look at a picture of Abraham's family, it would be him and Isaac, his one son that he had when he was 100, and Sarah. You know, he had another son, Ishmael, with Hagar. We'll get to that a little bit, but they got shipped off because, you know, you know, if you're taking notes, don't have your husband have a baby with another woman to satisfy your need for a kid. It kind of creates some tension there. And it would just be the three of them. And you may be thinking, this isn't really a great nation. This is maybe a great person. God, did you lie to me? What are, you, what are you doing? It's not what I thought it would look like. How many here in this life right now, and sitting today, you look back at your life and you say, you know what? This is not what I thought it would look like. You, you look at these Bible stories and maybe God has spoken to you and you're thinking this is not what it was meant to be or what it looked like. A diagnosis, a financial crisis, a relationship. You name it. We all probably can paint a picture where we could look back at our life and say, this was not what I thought it would look like. I'm thinking I would be on a leather couch with all my kids and having the blessing that God told me I would have. But how did we get here? First, Abraham was told to go without having any clue where he was going. Hebrews 11.8 says this. This is a New Testament author that says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Often, God will give you directions without details. I want to say that again. He will give you directions without details. Now, if God tells you to go and do this, we kind of want some proof. We want to know, what is this going to look like? What am I stepping into? I need a little bit more details before I follow in your directions. 
See, Abraham had faith because he went, he followed directions without knowing where God was taking him. We live in a society right now where we need everything planned out. We need to know everything before we do anything. And what we do is we base, if we're going in the right directions, based on our circumstances. We doubt. Are we going in the right direction? Are we going where God has called us to go? Because I'm looking around at my circumstances and I have doubts. And it makes you think, did I get the directions right? Abraham, when he left, he had three major fears, and they all start with F to make it easy. First, famine hits. There's no food. And a famine could be represented as provisions, financial, relational, you name it. Any provision in your life, health. Sometimes you're on a direction, you're following God, and then you realize, well, is God providing for me? Is he the one who's giving what I need to sustain my life? And maybe some of you doubt that. Famine hits the land, and Abram and Sarah and their, and their nephew Lot, they don't know what to do, and so they go to Egypt. Egypt is throughout scriptures as the place where you go to when you're in trouble. This is where uh, Joseph was led to. His brothers came because there was famine. This is where Jesus comes with um, Joseph and Mary when they're trying to be, uh, when they're killing all the little boys in Bethlehem. And so they go to Egypt. Now the second fear is foreigners. When they get there, Abram lies and says that Sarai is his sister. Now it's a kind of a partial lie because they were half-sister. It was a different time. But because she was so beautiful, he was afraid that maybe Pharaoh would take her as, a, as his wife and kill him. Now, I'm thinking she's 65. She must have been a beautiful lady. Now, so foreigner, so he's afraid of the unknown. How many of you guys are afraid of the unknown? What's going to happen? And, and maybe some of you guys start tweaking things and you start putting things in your own hands. I don't, what is this going to look like? How, how is this going to play out in our life? And, and, you, and you just get stonewalled with fear. I don't know. And what we do is we start to come up with our own plan. Okay, okay, you're, you're going to be my half-sister. Or you start tweaking the truth and you start doing little things to make sure that the unknown becomes a little bit more known. And then the third thing that we see, fights start to happen, battles these kings come and they take his nephew away and Abraham goes Rambo on him and gives him back. And he doesn't know if the kings are going to come back at him or whatnot. And so what are you battling in your life right now? What are you fighting right now? And you're wondering, am I following God's directions because I'm fighting a whole lot? And in a battle, I'm talking about not a physical fight, but a metaphorical fight. It could be a fight with depression. It could be a fight with anxiety. It could be a fight with health. It could be a fight relationally. It could be a fight financially. And you start fighting. It could be a fight with your spouse. It could be a fight with your kids. And you're saying, am I going in the right direction? Because if I'm following God's directions, I shouldn't be in these fights, these battles of life. And so here's what I think God is telling us in this story is don't course correct based on the difficulty of the course. If you're writing notes, even mental notes, remember this. Don't course correct based on the difficulty of the course. When you look around and you think, this is not what I expected. It is too difficult. The road is too hard. 
obviously I am not following God's directions because it is too difficult. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 13. Jesus says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. So the gate is easy and wide, but guess where that leads to? Destruction. I believe it's eternal destruction, but also I believe it's a worldly destruction. And the gate is hard that leads to life, life to the full. So, for example, Drew, which is super fun in the Bauer household, transitioned out of his crib. He was like doing all Spider-Man stuff and getting out. And what we found out was he would roam at like 3 a.m., our whole house. Emmy says, a couple weeks ago, Emmy's like, comes into our room at 5 a.m. It's like, Dad, I roll over and Drew staring at me with his pacifier. And goes, <laughs> He's like, Dad, I freaked out. <laughs> and so she brought herself, Andrew. And so, okay, like, so what do we do? This is very difficult, right? We have options. We could put a lid on the crib. <laughs> we actually changed the doorknob so we could lock them in the crib. So we said, all right, it is time to get rid of the crib. So we put a mattress on the floor. And Drew doesn't know. He, we put him on the mattress. He just gets up and walks out, put him back on. So we would lay in there with him, and we would make sure he would fall asleep, and it would be like you tiptoe out, and all of a sudden, like, we made it, and you look behind him, he's right there, and you're like, are you serious? And it was, it was a very difficult few weeks, and to be honest, it's, there's still a lot of difficulties. And so there's conversations where Kate and I were like, do we just get the crib back up? Did we just abandon? It is too difficult. And what were we thinking? Were we going to have a 15-year-old in a crib? And so you, you start to think, it is too difficult, so you want to course correct, right? We're going to change the plan. When you know that this is the right course to take. If you're a parent, you know that this is, hap this is parenting 101. Sometimes you've got to do the difficult thing. Or all your kids will do is eat ice cream and chocolate for every meal and never go to bed and be uh, awful all the time. So don't course correct on the difficulty of the course. But also, worldly success doesn't determine godly direction. I think so many times we look around and we say, well, God is blessing me, so therefore, I'm going in the way God wants me to go. I'm looking around. Hey, I've been working more at the sacrifice of my family. I'm making more money. It's a blessing, so therefore, this is God's direction, though your family's getting torn apart. And you can name thing after thing. Worldly success doesn't determine godly direction. Here's how we see this play out in the scriptures. See, God comes to Abraham again and says, no, 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 you're going to have the baby out of your flesh. And we'll get to that in a little bit. They don't really believe him. He's still not, they're still not having a baby. So, they, so Sarai says, you know, I have a solution. Hagar, my maidservant, Abraham, marry her, have a baby with her. This baby will be our baby. But Hagar, you still stay in the picture and you think this is a terrific idea? So Hagar and Abraham get married. First, I wonder, God, why did you allow Hagar to get pregnant? 
Why did you have them succeed in a plan that wasn't going in the direction that you wanted them to go into? Secondly, not only did she have a baby, but she had a boy. She could have had a girl. That would have solved a lot of issues. But she had a boy. So she had a boy, and she was pregnant. So you would think, Abraham would be thinking, see, this is exactly the direction God wanted us to go into because look at the blessings that he's given us. And then Hagar and Sarah got in a fight. I mean, there's a lot of family tension, and God says, you know, they got to go. And Hagar and Ishmael get sent out. And Sarah eventually does get pregnant with Isaac, who becomes the descendant of Jesus and carries the promise. But I think we do that and say, hey, God, you must be, I must be going in the right direction because look at my house. Look at the possessions I have. Look at, look how good I feel. And I, and I'm not saying those, you can't have those feelings and follow God, but those feelings aren't your, your, your thermometer to tell you if you're going in the right direction. God, worldly success doesn't determine godly direction. The second thing we need to do is, this is something that has been convicting me of. Are you doing the things that God has already told you to do? So many times we are on our knees saying, God, and then we wish list the whole thing. Would you do this? Would you do this? Would you heal this? Would you give me this? And we're asking for details and we're asking for directions. God, would you do this and let me know how to get from point A to point B? God, would you give me directions? And there's a story I read in my morning reading. It goes back to the Old Testament after Abraham. Right after Moses, he hands the baton to a guy named Joshua. Joshua takes God's people, the Israelites, that Abraham is the father of, and they head to the promised land. And if you went to Sunday school, you know the the battle of Jericho. The walls came crumbling down. And God gave specific directions what to do with Jericho. He said, go into Jericho, destroy everything, take the plunder, and give it to God. Give it to the temple. Take all the silver and the gold and all that stuff, and, and don't destroy that, but give it to God, the temple. Well, they didn't do that. It was a lot. And they're like, you know, some for you and some for me. We do the same thing with God, right? God, here you can have some and here's some for me, you know. And so they totally disobey the directions that God has given them. So they have another battle against AI. AI is how you spell it. And so they go and they lost. 36 soldiers die. And this is what Joshua does in chapter 7, verse 10. Joshua goes and he lays at the tabernacle, face floor, and he's asking God, what do we do? What do we do? Give me directions. And this is what the Lord said to Joshua in chapter 7, verse 10. Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant. So God, here's Joshua, and when, when we like, have, get directions that we don't like, we don't follow details, we go to God, like, God, why, why, why? Give me more directions. Tell me where to go. And sometimes God's like, what are you doing on your knees? I've already told you what to do, and you're not even doing what I told you to do. So many of us are asking for the next step when we're not doing the past step. And we wonder why our life isn't full of shambles and destruction, because we haven't followed the directions that God has given us. This happens over and over and over again. So many people here are filled with overwhelmingness. 
and being worked too much. And I'll say, well, when's your Sabbath? And we had a big awesome session back in January when we talked about rhythms. Sabbath is a day off that we think, oh, it's dogmatic. We've got to do it for God. And like, God said, I want to give you this as a gift. And we say, oh, I don't have time for a Sabbath. I'm saying, you're not following the directions God has given you. God wants you to have a day of rest. What I realized is I found myself thinking I'm too important. If I take a day off, what is the world going to do? be honest, I keep moving on and they're fine. <laughs> If I don't respond to this text, or if I don't respond to this email, everything's gone. I'm going to come back to Fireside, and it's going to be me and Kate and Connor. High five. What happened? You didn't respond to a text. Ugh. Do we do that? This, obviously, this is God's directions, but we don't do that. What about tithing? And, I, and next week, we're going to lean into a little bit about freedom from money. But a lot of us are thinking, like, you know, financial, financially. It's like, you know, God is telling us, you know, your first tenth, you should just give to God. It's like, there's no way. I'm like, well, then don't get on your knees complaining to God about finances because you're not following the directions with the finances he's already given you. And until you do that, watch how God will provide. And what if everyone were to give Imagine what we could do. Financial, finances should never hinder the growth of God, especially in New England, especially where there is such a spiritual dead place. And then this goes on and on and on. I'm having relationship troubles. Well, tell me about it. And it's just like going against God's directions, going against God's directions. Like, you sh this is what God wants. Like, oh, I can never do that. I'm like, well, then don't ask God for more directions. Why is God going to give you more directions if you're ignoring the past ones? So that's the thing we need to do. Don't course correct based on difficulty, of course. Abraham didn't do that. He didn't turn around. He didn't go back to Ur where he was from because he's like, oh, there's famine, there's fights, and there's foreigners. I'm going to head back home. But then Hagar is a baby, and then he has worldly success. And now he's thinking, oh, now it's the right direction, but that doesn't work. And then you got to ask yourself, am I following the past directions God has given me? What I love is the first thing that God says to Abraham is this. Go. Move away. If you want to enter into the promise of God, you may have to move away from the past. There's some things you may have to move away from in order to move into something. We get so stuck into the past that it kind of overbears our thinking and our vision of what God can be doing. And so is there something in your life where God is calling you to move away from or to move into something? Is it things like drinking or relationships or if you're a guy, you know, late at night? What do you need to move away from in order to move into what God has in store for you? God says to Abram, move, go, and then I will show you. But we say, I'm not moving until you show me where we're going. This is what happens in the Bauer household. Like, hey, guys, we're getting in the car. And they'd be like, where are we going? Like, just get in the car. No. Ice cream or nothing? I need to know. You guys have been there before. I'm like, no, just get in the car. Because sometimes I don't want to tell them they're going to go to their doctors and they're going to get a shot. But I have to. So God, I think, protects us. He's like, I don't want to give you too many details, because if I give you too many details, you're going to ignore my directions. But here's the thing. My directions are the best thing for you. 
So all those things happen, and then God comes in Genesis 15, verse 1, and you can move there. He says this, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. This line I read the other day is the most quoted thing that God says to us are these four words. Do not be afraid. If God keeps saying it, maybe we should kind of accept it. Do not be afraid. Which implies that Abraham was afraid. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your great reward. Reward is your wages. I am all you need. But this is what Abraham said. Sovereign Lord. So he butters him up a little bit. Sovereign Lord. What can you give me since I remain childish? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And then Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir? Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Then he took him outside, and he said, look up to the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can even count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Uh, Abram's pushing 100 years old. Sarah's, you know, 90 years old. He said, no, you're going to have your own kid. Later, after the whole Hagar thing happens, these angels come and say, no, no, Sarah's going to birth. And she starts to laugh. I think there's some of you, if I were to say, you know what, God is going to do this in your life, you would say, it's impossible, and maybe you'll even chuckle. But what I love how God gets through to Abraham is he changes his position in order to change his perspective. He's in a tent. And he's kind of having this debate. You know, God saying something and Abraham saying, no, you're a liar. And it's back and forth. Then, then God's like, I need to show you something. Look, He didn't say in the tent, look around, because all you're seeing is canvas. And you're like, okay, this is kind of cool. He says, I need you to get up. And I need you to move positions. And I want to show you a different perspective and see all those stars that you couldn't see while you were in this position. Those stars are going to be as many descendants as you will have. And when I read that, I think that God's saying you're thinking too small. We limit God. And sometimes God will change your position in order to change your perspective. There was a healer back in the early 1900s named Ernie Revilla. Go around and he would heal. Thousands of people are credited to his healing. Cancer, terminal illness, people who were, uh, couldn't walk, can walk. Then he gets diagnosed with cancer. The great healer gets cancer. Obviously, you would think he would be healed from it. And this is what he says. He says, I don't think God's going to heal me from this one. But I think my purpose is to preach his name in the position that I'm in on his cancer floor. He ends up dying to cancer. And at his funeral, it's testimony after testimony of patients on his ward that came to Jesus because of his testimony. Talk about changing your perspective. But we say, no, the details are too hard. I don't want to follow your directions. And we get so distracted by the details that we forget the directions God has given us. 
We get distracted by the mountains as we sing about in our life. That we forget about the path that God wants us to go on. And the point is this. We get so obsessed where God is taking us, we forget the whole point. It's not about where God is taking you. It's about who God is making you into be. It's not a destination of a land. There's no more promised land. It's not a circumstantial bliss. It's who God is making you into. That's the direction God is trying to take you into, is to form you into him. John says this in 1 John, and I love that Connor said this earlier, and we did not coordinate it, but I want to read from the message. This is what Eugene Peterson says in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Also, side note, my favorite verse in the Bible. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We are called children of God. That should be amazing in itself. It is a privilege to be a child of God, not a burden. It is a privilege. We are the sons and the daughters of the God Almighty. That's another sermon. That's who we really are, but that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously, because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, listen to me. That's exactly who we are, children of God, and that's only the beginning. Who knows how we'll end up? What we know is that when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him, and in seeing him, we will become like him. Just like your earthly father, you kind of grow into him. We are called to grow into our heavenly father. And that's who he wants us to be. This is the direction we're headed. I said the scariest moment, but one of the most awesomest moments was that Blake is getting into basketball. Oh, yeah. I'm a big baller, and so he stayed up one night to watch half the Celtics game. So cool. And so we'll play. I'm playing lefty because I can't use my right arm. And I'll do a spin move, and he'll be like, Dad, how'd you do that? And I teach him. And then I'm in the kitchen, I'm looking at and he's, he's copying me. He's doing my spin move really badly, but he's trying. And my heart's like, he's trying to be like me. One, as a father, and this is convicting, if your father here, know that your kids are trying to be like you. So is it you that they're trying to be the you you want them to turn into? That's something that we need to take seriously as fathers. Like, am I modeling the way that I want my kid to follow my path in everything I do? But then I look at my dad that I'm turning into, and I think, you know what? My dad wasn't all bad. I love my dad. And so now there are certain things that I look at my dad, and I'm like, this is who I want to be like. See, my dad, when he passed away, I had person after person come to me and say, I just want to let you know, your dad was the only one who visited me in the hospital. I had one lady say, did you know your dad called me every week on Sunday night just to check up on me because she was a widow? I had no idea. And my dad would talk with people, and he would get their story, and then he would remember... And he would follow up. Next time he saw him, he's like, hey, you had a job transition. How'd that go? Now, you know you were a little worried about your new boss and the environment, but how's that going? And I'm like, I'm looking at this. I'm like, this is who I want to be like. I want to be like those. I want people, when I'm gone, to be like, hey, your husband or whoever is they're talking to cared for me. So there's parts of your dad that you want to take. And so this is how we want to be like the father. Do we want to be like 
Jesus. But here's the thing. We're not all supposed to be clones. I think when we look about being like Jesus, we're thinking, all right, we've got to be all the same. First of all, you're not all male. (laughs) You're not all supposed to be a carpenter, single, that would not be good for multiplication of the earth. We're supposed to look and act, we're supposed to act like our father, but it's not supposed to all look the same. We're all going in the same direction. So for me and my dad, my dad and I, I'm very thankful that my dad was a big athlete, big baseball player. He played minor league ball for a little bit, loved playing baseball. But see, my talents was getting geared to basketball. So when I was a junior, I was starting on the center field of my varsity team, and I remember my dad is in the office, and I walk in and say, hey, Dad, I need to tell you something. He's like, what's up, Andy? How's practice? I'm like, that's the thing. I just quit. And he looked at me, and tears started coming down his face. Oh, you're not going to be like me anymore? And I say, Dad, Dad, but here's the thing. I'm putting all that energy into basketball. I'm, I'm like you. But I'm created to do this. Does it make sense? And so I did. I went to bat, and my dad was awesome. So we're called to be like Jesus, but not a clone of Jesus, but go in the direction that Jesus has given us. You could be a mom, you could be a sales guy, you could be a teacher, you could be an engineer, you could be a high schooler. So we're not waiting until we finally. Look like Connor with the long hair and be like, Jesus is here. (laughs) We're supposed to go in the direction that he wants us to go into. I heard a sermon, and this line really got me. And I want to have the band come up as we're starting to close. And it's about a rabbi named Rabbi Zusa. He he was a big name in, uh, in, in the Judaism. And he says, in the coming world, They will not ask me, why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zusa? In the coming world, when you are face-to-face with God, they're not going to say, why weren't you like this person in your life, this other guy, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's someone you respect, maybe it's someone in your life that you follow on Instagram, maybe it's a celebrity. They're not going to say, why weren't you like this person? They're gonna, God is going to say, why weren't you not the you I created you to be, a non-broken version of you that I created to be like me. And when I heard that, because I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with this all the time. I look around, I compare myself, and I say, hey, what if I was like this pastor? I mean, they got millions of followers, and they got all, I want to be like them. And I feel like God's like, no, 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 because you're not them. What about you in your workplace? You're like, oh, look at this guy, or look at that guy. Or maybe it's another mom, and you think they have the perfect family. You say, oh, man, I'm called to be like them. And goes, no, 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 no. You're the only you that has ever been created, and I'm calling you to be you, but I'm also calling you to be you to be like me. Not a broken version of you, but the you that is going in the direction of being like me. And, and I love this because it actually is freeing. Because you say, you know what? I can be like Jesus and still be in this occupation. I can still be like this. I can still do this. So the reality is we're all going in the same directions, but we all have different details. We all have different details in our purpose with over the overall purpose of to share and to love and to be like Jesus. 
So things that we need to ask ourselves is, are you going in the direction towards being like your father? And maybe you need to move away from some stuff. And maybe you got to look and not course correct because it's too difficult. Or maybe you need to not to be so stagnant because things are so easy. And well, we can go back to a scripture and saying, God, am I following the directions you've given me to be like you? And am I going in that direction? Because when you're face to face with the Lord, he's going to say, I created you purposely. You're the only person in this place, in this time, in your position that will ever be. And it's not by accident. It's on purpose. And so would you step into who God has called you to be, which is to be like him, but in the way he created you to be like that. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are, Jesus. Lord, convict me, Lord, to be like you more and more and to shed the things off that I need to shed and to step into the things that that you are calling me to step into. Lord, would you help my comparison head, Lord, to be confident in who you created me to be? Lord, you're not saying... When I'm face-to-face, you're like, Andy, why weren't you more introverted? Andy, why weren't you funny? Andy, why weren't you more smart? No, 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 no. Would you shed those comparisons away, Lord, and just say, God, could you reveal more and more the directions you have planned specifically for me to be like you? And so, Lord, right now we come. We thank you for the directions, Lord, and we trust you with the details. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.